Hello everyone and welcome back to the Football Shagoo podcast. My name is Thomas Durning and today I'm joined by my co-host Pierce McLaughlin. Hello Pierce. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. On today's podcast we'll be discussing the result of the El Clasico, reacting to Antonio Conte's outburst, previewing Scotland's match against Cyprus and at the end Pierce will give a rundown of all the latest Asian football news. Coming up next, we will be giving our reaction to the El Clasico result. On Sunday, Barcelona defeated Real Madrid 2-1, which meant Barca moved 12 points clear at the top of La Liga. Pierce, what's your overall thoughts about the match? Uh, I, I thought it was a very good spectacle as a as a neutral. Um, and the match was very good in terms of like, it shows both sides that Barcelona can also attack, but also defend. They've done that somewhere on the Copa del Rey, uh, first leg at the Bernabeu, where they just sat in. And that's not really known for Barcelona. Barcelona has been known for tiki-taka, giving teams opportunities. But they defend uh, really well, man for, man for man. And when they hit in the break, they're just quite, what is the word, um, dangerous. Because, like, the last 20 minutes or so of the El Clasico, you only thought there was one winner at Real Madrid. They scored Real Madrid and it was fractionally offside. Um, and then, virtually the last kick of the game, Frank Kessie, substitute off the bench, and just comes on, drifts into the back post, 2-1, 12 points clear at the top of the table. And for me, that's kind of pretty much the league to take over. And I think Barcelona can well and truly attach the ribbons to the, the trophy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, when I, I watched the match and the start of the match was 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 crazy. I mean, there was so much going on. Uh, I felt Barcelona. I felt Barca. I felt in the first half they were the better side. Um, I felt um, you know, Real Madrid were trying to you know they couldn't really get control of the game because Barcelona were were pressing them really high up the up the pitch, which meant Real Madrid they couldn't get out as quickly, and then. You know, I guess the run of play, Real Madrid score the first goal of the match. And then I think after that goal, they kind of settled down. And, you know, they started keeping the ball a bit, a bit better. But um, I, ju- I just think, I just think overall, in my opinion, I just think, I think Barca just about deserve to win the, to win the match. I just think they, I just think they did more in terms of creating chances Um. You know they had more of the ball. You know they 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 just looked like when I was watching it that, that they were going to that that they were going to you know go on and win the match. But with Real Madrid, um, you know they easily could have they easily, as you said they easily could have won it at the end. Um, and I was going to ask you, do you, what 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 do you think about their performance? Do you think it was a good performance from Real Madrid? Do you think it was a bad performance? I don't think it was a great performance. Um. Like you say, Barcelona, I, I, I do think, edged it. Because I, I do think Real Madrid, although they had nice possession possession of the ball at times and kind of did kind of grow into the game more and more, it was down to their substitutions. I thought the introduction of um, Asensio, Rodrigo and Danny Ceballos, all three of them made an impact and they looked comfortable on the ball, they looked dangerous. And let's be honest, like Real Madrid's key men, Vinicius Jr. and... Karim Benzema were pretty anonymous. Like Vinicius Junior beat Araujo one time, 
and deflected a cross in, which was a really lucky goal. But apart from that, Araujo had the best of them. And Karim Benzema was pretty non-existent. He didn't really get involved in the play. Um, and Barcelona's defence kind of nullified him. Christensen and uh, Kunde kind of stopped him pretty easily. Um, so when you have your two kind of your 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 two top goal scorers, your two key men at the top end of the pitch, they couldn't really create anything. They couldn't really do anything for sales. And for me, the both should be substituted. Um, but saying that, it was it was very very similar to like classicals of old. There was flying challenges, stoppages of play, people screwing up to each other. I really enjoyed the game. It was a, as a, as a neutral, it was a. It was an exciting match to watch, and the crowd of Barcelona I thought was um, electrifying. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with the. It, it was a brilliant game. Um, both teams were really committed. I, I just felt when watching the game that I just felt Real Madrid could have maybe gone for it a bit more. You know, I felt they kind of sat, they sat in a bit too much. You know, just kind of waited for the counter attack. Where I think if they kind of you know, pushed. I think kind of pushed up a bit more in the in the in the game. I think the, you know, the easily could have won that match. So obviously now, with Barcelona with Barcelona winning the match, um, it now means that the twelve point clear. Um, what do you think about title race now? Do you think that's do you think that's going to go to Barca or do you think you're just have a chance? Uh, for me, it's for me, it's done and dusted. Um, Real Madrid will solely focus on the Champions League. Um, and with Barcelona, they've got two eyes on beating Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey semi-final second leg and securing the league title. So Barcelona can do a double. They're out of Europe, so their focus is solely on domestic competition. With Real Madrid, will see 12 points. They'll try to make it competitive, try to make it respectable, but I do see them favouring the Champions League because Real Madrid is known for being the kings of Europe. Uh, last season, they, everyone wrote them off and they beat all the favourites, and they just have something with the Champions League. It just, it's just there seems to be their competition. Even if they're not playing great, they always seem to find a way somehow. And even against Barcelona, I don't think they played great. Like you said, they sat in a bit and tried to hit the counter. Whereas you seen Barcelona were high pressing. Like if you actually, if Real did actually try to break the press a few times, they could have caused Barcelona a few challenges at least. But no, I do think Barcelona. Uh, deserve the title. They've been very consistent this season. Had the best defence, and yeah, and they've still got a few key players to come back as well, like Pedri and stuff like that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, anything can still happen. You know, I still think maybe 12, 12 games to go, mm. but I, I can't see. I mean, Barca are, are, are they've been the most consistent team this year. The home records amazing, um, and yeah, I, I, I do, I do think it's too much of a gap now for. For him to try and get back into it, I think the the title will go to Barca this year. So we will now move on to Antonio Conte's post match comments. So on Saturday, Tottenham drew with bottom placed Southampton three three, despite Tottenham being three one up in the match. So after the game, Antonio Conte held his press conference and and was really upset. He accused his players of being selfish and also said his players do not want to play under pressure. Pierce, what was your reaction when you heard Conte's comments? Pretty shocking, to be honest. Um, although his side should have probably seen the game out of 3-1 up, but in a press conference, 
you shouldn't really be digging your players out in your club. He's basically saying these players are bottle jobs and the club is known for being bottle jobs and they don't win trophies and they won't win trophies when he's in, in the rain. And you can quite clearly see his contract's up in the season. He wants out and I think the best thing for Totten to do is to get rid of him because although he's a world-class manager, right, but at times very, very restricted in the way they play with the three at the back and the attacking players that Son, especially Son this season, he's not been the heights of last season, but he did have his, uh, his cheekbone broke before the World Cup and stuff like that. That kind of affects and office field problems, but um, for me, you cannot be saying that to your players, especially when you've got uh, definitely a few world-class attacking talent and Kulisevsky, Kane and Son and a few others, but no, nah, you shouldn't be saying that. It's just not, For me, it's unacceptable and the manager's got to go. I don't care who you are, the club comes before any manager. Yep. Um, I, I when I first heard it, I kind of my, my first thought was that uh, I just felt it was a guy who's who's just had enough. Um, you know, I don't I don't really agree with um the way they went about it. You know, I don't I think he should have just kept that in the dressing room rather than go out into the media and and say that. But um, you know, he blames the players quite a lot but I, I do think Conte has to take some of the blame because um, they were 3-1 up in the match and you know when you're 3-1 up in the match away from home you should you should feel confident about yourselves and you know even try and go and get more goals but they just seem to sit back and just kind of hold on to the hold on to the lead rather than you know even try and go and finish it as I just said um, so, and so and that's not just this once this has happened this season, you know, they, they do, they're so conservative the way they play Tottenham. And, you know, when I watch Tottenham, it, it's quite clear that some of the players don't enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, going back to going back to Conte's comments, you know, in a way, I, I do I do agree with him because Tottenham, the last 20 plus years have been, they've been really, they've been really poor in terms of challenging for the, the major trophies. Um, so, some some of the stuff he did say about about the club and stuff that I, I do agree I, I do agree with, but I don't think he should have said that in the media. I think he should have just kept that in the dressing room. And yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, do you think he will leave Tottenham? Um, uh, I do think he will leave, and I think he he's done that. He's done the same thing, pretty similar to Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United, where he's made comments in the media and the public to try force a way out and I do think he's wanting a massive payout I just don't think he wants to be there obviously he did have ill health and he was missing for a, a wee period of time recently um, and he's only just there's no long back maybe like three or four games back and he's saying stuff like this um, I thought he said he played well just obviously for me like, he sit, he does he does have his team sitting far too much because he's got a lot of attacking talent but let's be honest his defence is not great the d- defensive players are not great at at Tottenham, when you have players like Clement Longley, Eric Dyer, Davison Sanchez, for me the only world class defender they have is Christian Romero, and even then he's prone to getting a red card quite easily. Uh, for me, so you don't, and obviously Fraser Forster's not the same Fraser Forster was at Celtic. He, he, he's he's looking old. He's looking quite comfortable. He wants to be a second choice. Then Hugo Lloris is making mistake after mistake, and in the middle of the park they've they've got two players in the middle of the park. And it's, I don't know who it is just now. I think it's like Skip and Hoiberg. But they're getting outrun 
they need they need three in the middle part. Most teams have three, and let's be honest, they're not technically it's like a Man, Ch- Man City, Man United, uh, Arsenal. So they do need to change their shape. I, I do think Conte is holding this Tottenham team back, and they're, they're going to be lucky if they keep a hold of their best players because I could see Kane and Son leaving in the summer if they don't get their act together, Tottenham. I know Levy is quite a shrewd negotiator and he always wants the biggest deals in terms of, you've seen that uh, Kane tried to go and he refused and then obviously Gareth Bale, Tony did years ago, dragged on for how long, like the base of the whole summer. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what happens, but I do think maybe time for Poch to come back. Yeah, well, at the time of recording this, um, well, we just heard last yesterday that it, it does look like Conte could be leaving in the next day or two. So we, so at this time, we, um, I think he is still at Tottenham, but maybe he has left by now. But um, I, I do think, you know, coming after the international break, I, I do think Tottenham will have a new manager. Um, I just think... Uh, for me, when looking at Courtney, I just think he's had enough, and mm. he, he he wants out. And you know, I think Tottenham, I think Tottenham and Courtney will, will will part ways. So for the next part of the show, we will now look ahead to Scotland's match against Cyprus, which will be the first game for Scotland in their Euro twenty twenty four qualifying group stage. Pierce, what is your thoughts about the upcoming match? Yeah, I'm quite excited. Uh, just to see what the lineup is. Um, but I do think it will be quite different from what we had previous. Because I think obviously a few players have been out of form, not really match fit. So I do think a lot of the fringe players that were in last time will be get, given more game time, like the likes of like Ryan Jack, Grant Hanley, stuff like that. Uh, Kenny McLean. We might even see uh, the new the new striker Jacob Brown. Who's not really had he's been in a previous camp, but he hasn't been involved. So, although Cy- Cyprus is at home, yeah, I hand in you. Yeah, I, 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 I still expect, regardless of who we play, not being arrogant, I just, I just think Scotland, with the quality we have in the squad, like even if they're not fully fit, I do think we have enough to beat Cyprus. But that, with that being said, you still need to, you still need to perform and go out there and try and give you hundred percent. And I do think the boys that have not been playing will be itching, and it's an honour to play for your country. So I think um, I can see a comfortable win with a lot of uh, rotation in the team. Yeah, um, it's a big game for Scotland. Um, you know, uh, obviously the first game of the the campaign, so they want to off by a good start. Yep. But because it's at Hamden, and uh, you know, in this in this international break, they've got two games at home. The first one against Cyprus at the weekend, and then they've got Spain. So they'll they'll, want, they'll be really desperate to try and get off to a good start. Um, at weekend against Cyprus, um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see the way they do line up. Um, it'll be interesting to see what keeper starts because obviously now the, the number one Craig Gordon's he's injured, so we've got a new keeper in Angus Gunn that's just joined the camp, and we've got Xander Clark at Liam Kelly. So it'll be interesting to see who he starts. Out of them three, um, and I I do think Scotland will win, um, I do think they'll win. But Cyprus, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know at all. You know, they're a good side. I think, yeah, it was Steve Clark's first match at Scotland Ranger was against Cyprus at Hamden, uh, and they won two one in the last minute 
of an Ollie Burke goal. So it'll be interesting to see how far we've come since then, which mm. we'll, we'll obviously have because we've qualified for a tournament since then. But um, no, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, and I, I, I do think, I do think Scotland will win. I do. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I do think um, we will win. I think we'll be 2-0. Two, two I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're, we're, we're an attacking team. We're usually quite pra- pragmatic. And when we hit, hit the count on set pieces, we're usually very dangerous. But in terms of the goalkeeper, I want to go back to a situation, I think, looking at the form of the weekend, I think Xander Clark and Liam Kelly have not really done themselves any favours. I thought both of them were quite poor in their performances. I know Liam Kelly was playing his Rangers, but to have a free kick... For me, you should have saved that at the weekend. And then Xander Clark gets, what, three, three put past him at Aberdeen. And I think it's time for Angus Gunn to try to take a claim. And and if he can get his first cap against Cyprus, then I, I do I do feel as if he can push on and he can be our number one for the next probably 10 years if he performs well and stays at the level. And also that is down to club form as well. You've seen that with David Marshall when he was number one at the Euros and then he wasn't really playing at club level and to never get back in now he's back playing at house but now he's retired for national duty and also he lost Craig Gordon to the leg break so I do I do feel and he is nearly I think he's 40 now Craig Gordon so um, so I do think 26 years of age and he's got Premier League experience at Norwich and a few other I think it was uh, Southampton so he's a good, decent keeper and I do think he can do well and uh, obviously the best form of defence is having a strong back line and goalkeeper and I think that will be key for us especially going forward and hopefully qualifying for Euro 2024. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I, I think we, um, sorry, I think Angus Gunn should start. Um, mm. You know, at the weekend they played Stoke, Norwich uh, and ended 0-0 and if it wasn't for Angus Gunn, Stoke would have won that game by three or four goals. Um, you know, he made countless, countless saves. You know, he's in a really good moment. Um, you know, he's he's got back into the Norwich side, uh, and he's now number one ahead of Tim Crew. So you know, although Xander Clark and Liam Kelly, they they are good keepers, but I just think Angus Gunn's in like a better moment. Uh, you know, um, and I I just think I, I just think Steve Clark will go. I think he will go with Angus Gunn, and hopefully, you know, hopefully as a good. At the national camp, mm. and you know, I hope it hopefully it does well. So, for the final part of the show, Pierce will now give his Asian football roundup. Yes, so obviously, you, you see with the, the Japanese squad, I just wanted to hear your reaction, there, uh, Tom, because obviously, there's two noticeable key exclusions from um, Celtic and uh, Rio Tati and uh, Kyogo Furahashi. What's your take on that? Yeah, um, I, I was surprised when. I heard they, they they weren't getting they weren't getting called up, you know. Uh, I think especially Kyogo, you know, he's been he's been amazing in twenty twenty three, especially. Um, uh, and I heard some of the comments the Japanese manager said about it was to do, uh, you know, it, well, it was partly to do with the standard of the league, which you know I I, I do understand in a way, but um, you know, I, I just think Tati and Kyogo have been they've been amazing for Celtic this year. Um, and I do think I I do think it I think it's it's disappointing for them that they didn't get called up. Um, and I was surprised when that when I heard. Hmm. Yeah. For me, I I do feel as if the the manager Moriasu is very contradictory because he does call Dyson Maida who plays in the same league 
played the same side. And also, he's, he, he made comments about for the future for World Cup 2026. And obviously, Kyogo is 28 and Hatati's 24, 25 years old. But he's calling up players like Nagatomo, who's like 37, 38. Hiroku Saka used to play for Marseille, the fullback, 34 years old. So he's kind of, and he's even calling up Maya Yoshida as well. So he's kind of contradicting himself, saying they're too old, the league's not great, and he's building for the future. You can quite yeah. clearly see that he just doesn't like or rate the players, which is ridiculous because he's called up two Japanese strikers from the J League that have got like two goals between them this season. And no, it, uh, yeah, yeah, for, for a striker that's proven in Europe, and he's he's got twenty six goals this season, and it's the highest scoring Japanese forward. And for me, he's he was amazing last season, but he, this season he took up a level, I think. And Rio Tati, the same, but obviously he probably wouldn't have been, he probably might have been recalled if he did get caught because he did pull up an injury weekend, but he should be at least be getting called up in the first place, which is for me is a bit. Bit shocking, but in terms of South Korea, obviously um, they've called up uh, Oh Young Go, and it's quite an achievement for him. Been called at twenty one years of age. He was part of the World Cup squad in Qatar. Didn't see any minutes, but he was there around the squad. So that week, he's a feel at the comp- the competitive edge and being at a major tournament, even for your country, even if you don't see any minutes, just being around the camp it can all benefit him. And at 21 years of age, and he's adapting to life in uh, Scotland very well. And um, I, I do think it's an achievement to be called to Jürgen Klinsmann's first squad as well. And they're both big tests, because they're both, uh, Japan and Korea are playing on Friday and Tuesday. And on the Friday, Japan are playing Uruguay, and then on the Tuesday they're playing Colombia, so they're, they're big tests for Japan. And on South Korea, they're playing Colombia and Uruguay on Friday and the Tuesday as well, so they're big tests, and they're quite obviously South American sides are quite defensive and physical, and obviously Japanese and South Korea are more diminutive, more technical on the ball. So I would always kind of classify, let's see, like the Korean, the Korean. That's why like a lot of Koreans and Japanese are always like to transition to the Bundesliga because the Bundesliga is more attacking play, not very defensive. The exception would be also Kim Min Jae who plays at Napoli, which is an uh, Italian league's usually quite a defensive league. But yeah, no, I'm excited to see Oyungo and obviously Dyson made a play for um, the national teams and see how they got on. But it's exciting to see Jürgen Klinsmann because if you can get off to a good start, build momentum into the Asian games, then I think um, it'll be beneficial for him and interesting to see since his first start back in management in, was it four years? So, Interesting to see. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Chagu podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Chagu YouTube channel and also the Football Chagu website. As well as Deezer, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye.